All right, friends, we're going to get into the preaching of God's word. You can open your Bibles to Exodus 20. We're going to start by reading verses 1 and 2 together. This is the holy word of God, authoritative and sufficient for all things. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Verse 15, you shall not steal. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, would you move and govern my tongue this morning to speak the truth? And would you please help us by your spirit to submit our hearts and lives to the truths of your word. We ask all this in Jesus' name by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right. Who here loves a good heist movie? A movie where the whole goal is to steal something from someone else or from a specific place. Or the adventure revolves around stealing something back that was taken. Anybody? Yes. Aladdin, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Robin Hood. What about Uncharted or Indiana Jones or Mission Impossible? So many great stories start with theft. Or they have theft as the setup for the rest of the story. Les Mis, anybody? Why? because it hooks us in and grabs our attention. There's something about all those thefts that communicate a sense of desperation. It gives us a window into the character's life and circumstances and headspace without really having to say much at all. Lots of times the theft is used to make us feel bad for the character, like they're just trying to survive. Or it's used to get us to start rooting for the underdog. But often, the theft leads to something else going wrong. And the rest of the story is about putting all the pieces back together. There's lots of ups and downs and plot twists along the way, but the aim of the story is often a resolution and making things right. I love a good story like this. This morning, we're looking at Exodus 20:15. You shall not steal. And you may be thinking to yourself, there's no story there. It's just four words. You are correct. But, church, there is so much here for us to unpack. For us to do that most effectively means going through a biblical theology of stealing, much like we've done for some of the other Ten Commandments thus far. But the story represented here is incredible. What's the first story in the Bible about after creation? It's a theft, fam. Adam and Eve take something that does not belong to them. They steal. That's not a coincidence. That theft being there sets up the rest of the story of redemption. And it is the greatest story ever. That theft introduces the villains, the problem, the disobedience, the despair and punishment and curse 
And it has the vague promise of a resolution and making things right. God's story of redemption is beautiful and it's, it is set up by Adam and Eve stealing on behalf of all of us. So this morning we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about stealing and how it maps on to the human heart and condition through all of God's story of redemption and how a right understanding of stealing and trusting God gives helpful direction and boundaries to our lives today and consistently, constantly points us to Jesus. Now, friends, you might read this commandment and think, stealing really isn't a problem for me. That may be true, but it could be because you haven't thought very deeply or broadly about what stealing really is. We're going to get into that in a major way today. We all steal. Some stealing may feel small. Some stealing may be big, but it is all stealing, which points us to our main idea this morning. Stealing in any form means that we are not trusting God. Stealing in any form means that we are not trusting God. We're going to work through this in four points this morning. Stealing, stealing from God, trusting God, and stealing no more. So let's jump right in to this first point, stealing. A helpful place for us to start this morning is with defining what it means to steal. Let's take a look at a dictionary definition and then what the Bible has to say about stealing. The dictionary definition of steal is to take another person's property without permission or legal right and without intending to return it. Pretty straightforward. Any form of taking something that doesn't belong to you under this term, it fits under this term of stealing. And... We see this in the Bible as well. Scripture speaks of stealing very broadly, applying it to taking anything that doesn't belong to you. For example, just to name a few, Exodus 21 talks about stealing a human and selling them. Exodus 22 addresses stealing livestock, and Proverbs 6 speaks of stealing food to satisfy your appetite. But something I want to highlight here for us is that the word translated steal here in our passage this morning is really getting at all of this and more because it's the word for theft. Theft is craftier than most stealing because the goal of theft is to pull off the stealing of something without the owner knowing that the thing has been stolen. Theft communicates motive and intention and planning. So from the start, this commandment is getting at the heart issues as well as the action of stealing itself. But what does the rest of the Bible have to say about stealing? Let's take a look. Leviticus 19, starting in verse 11, says, You shall not steal and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Guys, stealing here is linked to profaning God's own name. That is heavy. 
It means disrespecting, dishonoring, and being irreverent towards God, which means that by stealing, we're additionally breaking several other commandments along the way. Proverbs 30, verse 9, Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. In the previous couple of verses here, the writer of Proverbs asks for God to provide exactly what he needs, nothing more and nothing less, because he doesn't want to be tempted to steal and thereby profane God's name. Jeremiah 7, 9 to 11, will you steal and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. This one's a lot. God calls stealing an abomination here in Jeremiah. Church, that is serious language. There's two things to catch here for us. First is that to steal or commit any sin is to cause hatred or disgust from God. That's what an abomination is. Second is that to claim to belong to God and yet continue stealing and sinning brings the statement and rebuke from God to his people that in our eyes his house, his house has become a den of robbers. Friends, God's house should be a place of safety and refuge, a place for every sinner to come and find rest and hope and the transforming power of the gospel. But in order for that to be really true, it needs to be a place marked by love and repentance and holiness. If we're not all constantly striving for godliness, but rather just going about our lives as normal as we would have been before putting our faith in Jesus, then we make God's house a den of thieves. Let's jump to Mark 7. Verses 20 to 23, and Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. There's something about Jesus' own words that hit me really hard as I was preparing this message this week. Without getting too off track right now, let me encourage you to take some time later today or this week to really consider what comes out of you and why. All these things listed here that come out of you are coming from your heart and they are on you. So many times we want to blame our thoughts and actions, our sins, on circumstances or other people. We're really, really good at blame shifting, am I right? We have been since that first theft in the garden with Adam and Eve and Satan. But this passage from our Lord says that when it comes to our sins, nobody else is responsible. We are responsible for them because they're coming out of our hearts. So as that relates to stealing, none of us can blame our circumstances. There's never an okay time to steal. None of us can blame other people for the thoughts or actions to take something that doesn't belong to us. Jesus says that that's coming from within our own hearts. And the impending reality for sinners is that every one of us will be judged when Christ returns. 
So passages like this warning from Jesus should sober us towards our sin and help us to be proactive in fighting against it and honoring God with our lives, not dishonoring him by continuing to live in sin. The way that stealing is spoken of throughout the Bible should really make us cautious about letting it be present in our lives even a little. Now maybe after going through all that, you see the weight behind stealing and even see that the heart issues might be broader than you thought, but you're still saying to yourself right now, I I don't steal though. The main idea this morning, again, is stealing in any form means that we're not trusting God. So let's ask the question, how might you be stealing today? Let me just go through some situations that illustrate different forms of stealing for us. Have you ever taken a longer break at work than you were supposed to? You guys don't need to put your hands up right now. Do you ever use work time for personal things like phone calls or emails or planning? Do you ever just straight up waste work time, maybe on social media or playing games? Have you ever borrowed something from a friend or family member without them knowing about it, and maybe that borrowed thing never made it back to the owner? Have you ever taken any supplies from your workplace for personal use? Have you ever exaggerated or minimalized or minimized numbers on your taxes for your benefit? Have you ever taken a candy bar or beverage from a convenience or grocery store and not paid for it? Have you ever not scanned an item in the self-checkout line? Have you ever bought something you know your spouse would be upset about without talking to them about it first? If you run a business, have you ever gouged prices because you know you could? Do you charge exceptionally more for your services than the market would indicate is fair? Do you take more hotel amenities or restaurant condiments than you need? Have you ever cut in line? I know some of those might seem silly to you, and some are way more significant than others, but they are all forms of stealing. All of them have effect on other people like breaking their trust or robbing them of something they owned or were rightfully entitled to or cost them time and resources. And all of them are illustrations of considering ourselves more significant and important than anyone or anything else. So if you've done any one of these things or any form of one of them or maybe committed a totally different form of stealing, then you and I are guilty of breaking at least the Eighth eighth Commandment and probably several others at the same time. And that church is the problem. But it doesn't stop there. This is where we're going to get a bit deeper and get further into the heart of the matter. Church, stealing is not trusting God's provision for us. He has promised over and over to take care of us and to provide all that we truly need. If that is true, then we have no need to steal anything. But how quick are we to not trust that God will provide? 
So we resort to being self-sufficient, self-reliant, and self-preserving, often at the expense of others. Stealing is also robbing someone else of God's provision for them. Think about this with me for a second. Every single thing that has ever been or ever will be stolen was a provision from God for the person it originally belonged to. And we feel like we can just take it. Friend, if you are prone to stealing in any form, please ask yourself and wrestle with the question, why am I so willing to take something that God has graciously, intentionally provided for someone else? It should break our hearts that we can be and are that selfish and prideful. It should disgust us just as much as it disgusts God that we value ourselves and our desires that much higher than the needs of others and God's provision for them. But stealing in any form means we are not trusting God. So beyond stealing from each other, there's another big problem and reality that we need to address, which brings us to our second point, stealing from God. In Malachi 3, verses 6 to 9, in a word to his people, God is calling them to return to him from their sin and rebellion. He says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, he says. But you say, how have we robbed you? He says, in your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. We have to ask ourselves the question. I have to ask myself the question. Am I holding back some of what rightfully belongs to God? Friends, in case you don't know, that is everything. God created and sustains and owns all of it. It's all his by right. So me not giving him the tithes and offerings he has asked me to trust him with is stealing from him. It's all his in the first place, but he's entrusted us with resources. But then throughout scripture, we see God calling us to use a regular portion of the resources he's given us to steward, to contribute to the church and the work of ministry in substantial ways and as faithfully as we can. Giving to God in this way is an offering to him. It's a way for us to tangibly, sacrificially demonstrate that we trust him and we will follow him. And if we are not giving him what is rightfully due to him, if we are holding back from him, then we are stealing from God himself. And friends, I think that if we were to hear God's perspective on our lives, that he would say that one of the primary ways that we break this eighth commandment today is by refusing to give to him and to the church in the ways that we should. Take that a step further. If you're holding back from giving God what's his, what divine provisions and blessings are you robbing yourself of being a part of. 
Could it be that God has plans that he wants you to be a part of by giving back to him and trusting him with your tithes and offerings and trusting him to provide for your needs? The answer is yes. How do I know this? Take a look back at that passage in Malachi with me. The next verse is amazing. God is correcting, rebuking his people, and yet he patiently, graciously gives them an incredible challenge. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. Try me, says the Lord. Trust me with your full tithes and offerings and watch what I can do, he says. He says he will pour down blessing until there is no more need. Church, do you believe that God is capable of such blessing and provision? Or do you feel like you can't trust him fully and so you hold back from giving to him? Maybe you find yourself in the place where you don't believe that he's going to provide for your needs, so you hold on to enough of your resources to help you feel safe and secure so that you can trust in yourself to provide and not him. Church, this command this morning is a reminder that you must trust your God to provide. Father, help us to trust you at all times. We need your help. But perhaps even more incredulous than keeping some of the resources which God is due is that we also are very good at stealing the honor, respect, and praise that God himself rightly deserves. We see it woven throughout the whole story of redemption. We elevate ourselves to being over God rather than under and submitting to him. That's stealing God's rightful honor and position in our lives. We consider our own plans as the best possible option and outcome. That's stealing God's rightful place and respect as king and ruler over us. We take things into our own hands constantly and operate like we have to make everything happen. That's stealing God's rightful role as provider and sustainer of our lives. We're also really good at taking credit for the success and blessing in our lives. That's stealing the honor and praise that God has rightfully earned. And every time we steal something from someone else, stealing what God has provided for them, that's us stealing the glory that God himself is due. The list goes on and on, doesn't it? The whole structure of the Ten Commandments has been showing us that our hearts want us to function as the most important one in our lives. More important than others and more important than God and we're willing to go to great lengths to make it so. I think that's why Jesus' words back in Mark 7 stung me so, that, so much this week. My one and only incredibly patient, gracious, loving Savior confronted me firmly with gentle words that what comes out of my heart is what defiles me. 
He confronted my unbelief that he deserves all my honor, respect, praise, and obedience, not me. He confronted my propensity to want to steal those things from him. He confronted my selfishness and pride, my self-pity and my self-exaltation. He confronted my inclinations and desires to steal from others, to make myself feel or look better with little or no concern for how that affects others or might take away from their experience of God's provision in their lives. Friends, how might Jesus be gently confronting you in this area today? How might you be stealing from others or stealing from him? Please don't rush past asking yourself these questions and sorting through the answers. Church, none of us are free from the temptation and sin of stealing. In some shape or form, we have all stolen. We need to lean into this and ask for God's help to see where this sin has taken root in our lives. And then ask God to help us repent of this sin and continue to fight it. Just like the the blessing God promised in Malachi 3.10, I'm confident that he has a ton of grace ready and waiting to be poured out on all of us as we confess our sins, our thoughts and desires or actions of stealing to him, and then ask for his help to repent and trust in him. He will meet you in this. So what do we do? We read this commandment and our understanding of stealing is growing and we see the help that God's word is to us. But what can we do to combat stealing even if just in our own lives? If, like our main idea says this morning, that stealing in any form means we are not trusting God, is the answer really as simple as just don't do it? This brings us to our third point. Trusting God. What does it mean to trust God? I've talked a lot about how we need to trust God and not ourselves, right? But does that mean that we don't have to work hard or take care of our responsibilities? Absolutely not. That would be majorly problematic and would lead us into all kinds of other sinful issues. Do you guys know what the actual definition of trusting God means? It means to firmly believe in his reliability, his truth, his ability, and his strength. So when it comes to trusting God to provide for you, it means to truly believe that he will. To believe that he will provide in common and normal and miraculous ways for you. What about the things that you want? Just, not just the things that you need. Does trusting God to provide for you include all that? Well, I'm going to leave you on a bit of a cliffhanger here and say that we're going to get into wanting and contentment in two weeks when Joel preaches on the 10th commandment, so stay tuned. (laughs) What our commandment this morning has as its major focus is trusting God to provide for our needs, just like he has promised he will do. Consider Matthew 6, 25 to 34 with me, where Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you, of, uh, are you not of more value than they? Therefore, do not be anxious. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Friends, if our God cares this much and this purposefully about providing for the needs of birds, we can trust, we can believe that he will provide everything that we need. Believing that God will provide for you cuts the desire and the temptation and the inclination to steal off at the knees. I hope you've seen this morning some of the ways that you are prone to stealing whether that's from others or from God or both. And I know that that may take some time to consider and process and correct in your heart and life. But church, we should also see and receive an incredible amount of encouragement this morning in seeing and knowing and believing that our God cares very much about every single thing that we need. And we can trust that he will provide for us. And where do we look to be reminded of the lengths that God is willing to go to in order to provide for us? You all know the answer. It's the cross. Why? Because on the cross, an incredible exchange happened. Back in the garden at the setup of the story of redemption where mankind stole what didn't belong to them, sinning against God and earning an eternal punishment, we see ourselves as the villains who have broken God's commands and tried to steal his glory and status for ourselves. And yet even in dealing out the punishment, the curse for our sins, God promised to send a hero who would make everything right again. Right there, right away, even in our sin and utter rebellion against him, God promised to provide what we ultimately needed, a savior. The rest of the Old Testament's full of mankind's continued failures and attempts to make things right on our own terms. An example after example of God's incredible provision for his people's needs, all pointing to the promised hero of the story. Jesus, he came to earth fully God and fully man to live the perfect life that none of us could, never sinning, never breaking a single command from God and trusting him to provide for him perfectly. Then he took our place to pay the debt that our sins owe, which is death. Remember last week when Sean pointed out to us the significance of Jesus taking the place of Barabbas in the trial? He was a murderer who had broken the seventh commandment, and Jesus took his place and then died in our place to pay the penalty of our sins? This week, we need to see and remember that Jesus hung on the cross with thieves in our place. Mark 15, 27 says, And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus hung with thieves for you and me. We've broken God's commands 
And he sent his perfect, innocent, only son to die a criminal's death to save us and make us right with him. On that cross, friends, God proved ultimately and forever that he has and will always provide for all our needs. Every single one of them. And we must trust, we must believe that he will do so. God did not spare his son to prove to us that we can trust him to provide. On the cross, Jesus took all of our sin and all our shame and debt and punishment and gave us God's unending mercy, grace, and forgiveness. That exchange is the pinnacle of the story of redemption. And it's that very moment that we can look to every moment of every single day to be reminded that God will provide for all our true needs. It's that moment in the story that our salvation is accomplished. The hero died for us. Some of you know that a couple of my favorite rappers are Trip Lee and Andy Minio. There's a verse in Trip Song 116 that captures this incredible exchange on the cross as the pinnacle of the story of redemption. Let me get this beat in my head. They say, what love is this to send his own, die for sin, and take us home? Got me feeling good, forget my feelings. And then there's this line, my all-time favorite lyric. When you heard a story about the hero dying for the villain. That's not how the story normally goes, church. The hero died to save us in our villainous rebellion. And if you believe that, that Jesus lived, died in your place, and that he rose from the dead three days later, conquering sin and death, that he did that on your behalf, then you belong to him. And he will provide everything you need for the rest of your days and forevermore in heaven with him. Amen? Friend, do you believe these things about Jesus? If you do, then you must trust him to provide for you. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 23, we're told that during their crucifixion, one of the thieves on the cross believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And friends, just like Jesus said to that thief on the cross, Jesus is saying to you today, truly I say to you, if you believe in me, you will be with me forever in paradise. All of the stealing that we do in our hearts and with our actions, Jesus died for all of it, fam. He took our place as a thief on the cross, and that should motivate and challenge us to give up all our forms of stealing and resolve to trust him to provide. Stealing in any form means that we are not trusting God, but trusting him means believing that he will provide for us. 
But it doesn't stop there. If we trust and believe our God, then he calls us to something greater than simply not stealing. Which brings us to our final point this morning. Stealing no more. In making us right with him through the redemption that our hero Jesus accomplished for us, God calls us to more than not stealing. Take a look with me at four New Testament passages to help inform our understanding of what this call is and what it means for our lives as followers of Jesus today. 1 Peter 4.15, after being made right with God, he says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. In Romans 13, verses 9 and 10, it says that the commandments, including stealing, are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, it tells us not to be deceived, that thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then it says in verse 11, and such were some of you. That's all of us. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Then Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with every anyone in need. Church, these passages assure us that in Christ we have been washed clean and made new. We have been completely forgiven of all of our thefts and sins, and we are called to love those around us just as much, if not better, than we love ourselves, actively and continually demonstrating the love and forgiveness of Jesus. And then there's that verse in Ephesians. It really drives it home by commanding every follower of Jesus who are now no longer thieves to do honest work instead of stealing. And then what? It's not just so that we can store up resources and treasures for ourselves. No, what's it say? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Whoa. Thinking about the dramatic change from thief to hard worker and generous giver has me thinking of Zacchaeus. He was a thief. He was a corrupt tax collector who defrauded and swindled people and kept it for himself. But remember what happened when he met and believed in Jesus? He immediately repented of his sins and set about being generous to those who needed help. Luke 19 tells us that he gave half of what he had to the poor and that he restored everyone he had stolen from fourfold. Why? Because Zacchaeus knew how much he had been forgiven of. And he wanted to be as generous towards others as Jesus had been towards him. Friend, is that your disposition? Does the forgiveness that you have received from Jesus for being a thief and great sinner motivate you to be generous towards those around you? 
Church, and what can only be described as incredibly beautiful, whenever we are generous and helpful towards those in need, we are actively, tangibly demonstrating the generosity and love and help of our God. Maybe take some time over lunch today to talk with friends and family about how you can encourage and challenge each other to be more generous. What might it look like for you to save a few dollars each week or month with the goal of giving someone a gift or buying someone a meal or sending someone some groceries? Take some time to think or talk with your family about what your giving to God and his church looks like. Is it non-existent or minimal right now? Is that perhaps because you haven't been trusting God to provide for your needs? Consider if Jesus is gently but firmly confronting your unbelief in this way. And then pray that God would help you to take steps of faith to trust him to provide for you. And then watch out. What might it be like if our whole church took God up on his challenge to really trust him with the resources that he's entrusted us with? to give our full tithes and offerings and watch him provide in such a way that there is no more need. Remember that passage in Malachi 3 where God says, try me, believe in me, trust me to provide for you and then watch and see what I can do. Think about what that could look like in our church and in our neighborhoods. That's a really, really encouraging thing for us to consider Meeting the needs of those around us by the provision of God through the generosity of his people is an amazing thing to behold. And it is a wonderful witness to the mercy and grace and love of our God. In closing church, stealing in any form means that we're not trusting God. But trusting him means believing that he will provide for us. And how we live out that trust is by working hard and helping and being generous towards others in need with the provision and blessings that God gives us. May we be a people who encourage each other to trust God to provide for our needs. And may we be a people who are generous towards those in need. Just as we have received much generosity from our hero Jesus. Let us strive for this together. Amen? Let's pray.